Hello, Gills, and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk Podcast. I am your host, Kristen Kibblehouse, and this week we have Gills Club Scientist, Dr. Cynthia Abaduch. Now, last week we heard from the Gills Club co-founder, Dr. Heather Marshall, and learning about how she is sampling sharks by drawing blood to be able to further her research. Now, this week, Dr. Cynthia Abaduch does the same thing, but she is looking at the endocrinology of sharks. So what is quite interesting is that Heather and Cynthia are using the same type of methods to look at a completely different scope of sharks. So this interview is quite interesting looking at shark endocrinology, but as well as a very unique way that Cynthia has been able to use dance for scientific communication. So let's get right into the podcast this week, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our newest Gills Talk interview. Today, we have Gills Club scientist, Dr. Cynthia Abaduch. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So just to to kick it off, to let everyone know what you do, what is your current research focused on? Okay. I have been working for the last 20 years, mainly on chondrichthyan reproduction. I'm very focused on endocrinology and physiology of the reproduction, um, how the hormones work, how the brain is connecting to all the other parts of the body to tell our body, like the same like humans or different mammals, to understand exactly how reproduction works. And using a lot of tools as using reproduction as a you know, it's very important to understand issues for management. And that means I use a lot of hormones in particular to try to answer the same questions that we need to answer when we do management in terms of size of maturity and reproductive cycle that in the past you used to kill the animals to get the information and more now we go, we get blood, we get the hormones and we can answer the same without killing the animals. That sounds so interesting being able to really just buy a blood sample for a shark. Very similar to us us humans, you know, I go to the doctor to get my my blood tested for my own and endocrinology workup. So I find that so interesting, you know, just how similar those things can be together. So then when looking at that, are you doing this with like a wide range of, of, of species? Are you focusing just like on one particularly? No, no, I, I did focus on one species uh, when I did my PhD a long time ago to develop the technique and to be sure everything was working, but not now. Now what happened usually is I involve in different projects with any species. And then, for example, I do a lot of work with people working with tracking and they want to know what happened or the state of the animal, the reproductive state of the animals when they do the tracking, that means we get hormones to understand if the female is pregnant or what stage it is. And then we use a lot of hormones as well to work with animals that they are endangered and protective or they live in marine protective areas and luckily we cannot kill them. That means we use hormones. That means it's not about the animals, it's about the technique. Very interesting. So then what are those techniques then that are being used on these animals then? I know you said you do blood samples and things like that, but is there like specific techniques then to do so? 
No, there is, there is nothing special that I think what we start doing is just to use the information in different way and to get mm -hmm. more into taking blood. That means what we do is we go into the field, we get blood, which takes very short time. The animal doesn't get stressed. And then we just go into the lab and we measure progesterone, estradiol, testosterone, as we do for humans. And in the last maybe 10 years or five years, we start also doing ultrasound to see if the females have the embryos. And then we can combine all these non-lethal methodologies to understand reproduction without the need to kill the animal. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then let's talk about then the reproduction of sharks. So I'm not sure for our listeners that are listening that if they are familiar with, you know, that sharks can give live birth or lay eggs. So then are you then looking at these species that are giving live birth? Are you looking at species that are laying eggs or is it then a mixture of both? <laughs> I do a mixture of both. I feel like, um, or I see more than hormones, is like doing a jigsaw puzzle. You know, you mm -hmm. measure the hormones and depending how the species reproduce, then you know, or you think, okay, if they, for example, when the species lie eggs before the animal, the female is going to lie the eggs or produce the egg, is going to have a peak in progesterone for a very short time, maybe 24, 48 hours. That means if I see those peaks, I know, okay, the female is about to ovulate, it's about to release the eggs. In animals that they have a longer gestation period and they don't produce eggs, they have more higher levels of progesterone along all the gestation. That means we work around both of, of types. A shark has an amazing reproductive mode. And what is amazing is even now that we have been studying sharks or reproduction for a long, long time, there are still new reproductive modes that we didn't know about it. And they are incredible. You know, it's nothing said. It's like every few years, so, oh, this species reproduce different to the other ones. So the eggs are different. And yeah, there are a, it's like this Pandora box that you open and there is always <laughs> something new that someone discovered in terms of reproduction. Mm -hmm. So then is there a discovery or a finding that you've had that is completely just like, made has been topped all the other ones that you have found so far is there one that you just completely not 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 to be so punny but like blew you out of the water <laughs> i think what blew me lately is a uh, i think it was in 2015 they found a different way of reproduction not so different of of other things but it's still different of what we knew that was very yeah, that blows me away that every time, every few years, I said, how we didn't see that before? How, you know, the more we discover new species, the more different ways of reproduction we start finding. Or oh, I think it was last year, they found this oviparous species where the eggs are translucent, like completely translucent. And oh. so, you know, that is very amazing. Yeah, that was in, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what species was that? It was a, I can't remember, it was in Japan, if I'm not mistaken, and it's an oviparous species. Yeah, but I can't remember the name. <laughs> I'm sure you work with so many species. I'm sure it's hard to keep them all separated <laughs> from one another. But then is there a species that you particularly like to sample more than another like has there been like your favorite kind of shark that you've been able to study you know their their endocrinology and their reproduction for 
okay, like uh, I've been taking blood, you know, of big, big sharks, like tiger mm -hmm. sharks, and it's pretty amazing and very interesting. But to, to be honest, I prefer the smaller sharks when it's easier to get blood. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very easy to find the vein. I've been taking blood from the heart. I've been taking blood from the tail, from many, many different places in sharks and skates and rays. But I think the small pelagic sharks are my favorite because they are the easiest, I think. And then they, all the others, I have to, you know, you have to work, not harder, but it's, it's not as, it's okay. Sometimes it's just not as straightforward, like the more simple pelagic small shark. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some way they are my favorite because they are easier. Yeah. But mm -hmm. in terms of reproduction, no, to be honest, any, any species I work with, um, I found very interesting and very motivating. Yeah, it's not that one species become more special. And actually, like a few years ago, someone say, a PhD student say, oh, I want to take blood to do this. And say, no, 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 we have done it a lot. No, no, no. And luckily he didn't listen to me because then we found the species has a lot of problems in terms of reproduction. Wow. And we start to see the hormones and that was, yeah, mm -hmm. very cool. Not good yeah. for the species, but very cool to understand mm -hmm. what happened, yeah. Looking at your work that you do and then seeing how you can then tie it to other things that are really not what people would think that are science related, but still in the way of expressing your science in a completely di different way. And that would be through dance. So I would love to be able to have you explain how you are explaining your science and your love of um, science and sharks through dance. To be honest, it wasn't my idea. Oh. Uh, I know I, I've been a dancer forever now, you know, and actually I'm not as, as dancing as much as I used to, but you know, I grew up, I was a dancer, I was part of two contemporary dance groups, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, um, I was in Australia and this uh, dancer, a contemporary dancer came to Tasmania to do a choreography about marine life and dancing. And he contacted me as a marine biologist. He didn't contact me as a dancer. And when we started talking, I said, oh, I would like to also see what you do because, you know, I dance. And, and he said, oh, have a look. And, and this is how I started looking into the possibility of express the science also through dance. And with him, we did all this workshop and, and it was incredible. You know, we, we did this, um, I, I do work, or I used to work more now. I haven't been dancing maybe because the pandemic for the last two or three years, but mm -hmm. working with people with, we tend to call them disabilities, but these people with different abilities that we are normally see. And the idea was uh, to work with them and for them to try to feel what means to be underwater. That means we had this big piece of material that was very soft and we work with them to go into this material and they can be around this material and we used to move them as they were underwater. And I remember trying on my own and, and, and close my eyes. And so it that, of course, it's not like diving, but if you put your imagination into that, it was like diving, you know? 
And this is how I start trying to express, to use dance to also express what we do as a scientist. And, you know, we have choreographies about uh, plastic pollution, contamination, and, and it's just beautiful because there are other ways that we can reach all the audience or all the people. And yeah, I, I, I don't know, you know, as a dancer, as after many, many, many years of dancing, at least for me, there is a moment that, you know, you just don't want to use pointy shoes anymore. You just don't <laughs> want to do the typical, and actually my body can't even do it anymore. And you start to get the nutrients in your life about dancing from other ways. It's not just the normal or the more normal way that we do contemporary dance or ballet. And that was pretty amazing. And working with this group of people with different abilities, that has been overwhelming and, and, and try to express myself or try to give the message about science in different way. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. And being able to then work with different people that maybe have not thought about being able to express themselves through dance through this different type of platform as well. Like that just sounds like, like how does one even then find dancers then to help with that work? Was it kind of like an open call system? Like how does that even come to fruition? Well, for me it was, uh, yeah, the, this, this dancer in Sydney that he he used to dance with people with different abilities forever now. And he just is very open. And, and for the last few years, he has been saying to me, oh, we are planning new things. We are planning new things, but you know, everything has been delayed because the pandemic mm -hmm. and stuff. So just let me know, I'm, I'm in, you know, whatever it is, I'm in. And a few times I said, maybe you can run courses, but no, it's just, you know, these people that have these different ideas and they just do it. And, and what I start to realize, there are festivals with people with different abilities and they dance different things. But what I found very amazing is when we finish is these people understanding what's going on with plastic pollution, with the sharks and just through dancing, you know, and and when we talk about science communication, you realize when it's not only the typical science communication, it's just not a talk, it's just not an interview, it's just, there are so many ways we can communicate the way, the, what we do. And for me, it was this, this mix of my two loves, you know, which is dancing mm -hmm. and science. And yeah, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful. And, and people that sing, you know, or drawing, there are so many other ways. We have to be so much more open mind about how we communicate. And I think it's very important because now science communication is becoming so huge, which I think is fantastic. And now that it's becoming so huge, maybe it's also time to, for other type of science communication to also become as huge as the mm -hmm. more normal way of communicate, to be mm -hmm. more inclusive, isn't it? Yeah, like how yeah. incredible is that? That even we can combine two worlds that you would think are, completely different opposite sides of the spectrum to be able to have science and dance and art together and just make it this one inclusive environment. Because like you said, science communication is so huge. And maybe to someone that is more on the arts world, that is how we can connect them to what is happening in our science community and being able to see, you know, how we can just like draw these two worlds together to have a beautiful dance or a beautiful photo or a drawing and we just had here at our outreach facility here in Chatham we have a local artist here on Cape Cod her name is Sarah Thornington and she does um, 
beautiful artwork and pieces out of beach trash. And she goes to our local beaches here and collects trash every single day. She did it. That was her goal in 2020 when everything was shut down, that she went to do a beach cleanup every single day and she succeeded. And she collected over 20,000 pieces of beach trash and plastics. And she made it into these beautiful works of art to like share the stories of how we can, you know, reduce, reuse, re recycle and figuring out how we can you know, upcycle and reuse everything that we use. So just hearing it through dance or if it is with art, again, just how immersive is that? So thank you for sharing, especially since for me, I grew up being a dancer just like you. <laughs> and then I'm out in a science world as well. So it's so interesting to hear how you're able to kind of mesh these two worlds together. Because in my head, I, I was a tap dancer, not a contemporary person at all. So for me, tap, and shark science, maybe not the best thing to mix. Who knows? Maybe tap dancing in a cage at some point in, in my life. Maybe. Who knows? You but never know. You know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, yeah. I, I never thought about it until someone opened my mind and showed me. That means you never know what is around the corner. But I think something very important is also to remember that because we are scientists and, and I am this typical, I'm a lab nerd. I work a lot in the lab. I publish the papers. But it's so, it's so important to realize that science is not done until we don't communicate it. In a paper, yes. But if the science doesn't get into the community, it's not science at the end. Because mm -hmm. I, my experience, at least, even with conservation and the species that we try to conserve, you know, we can talk to the government and say, this species is declining, 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 and they won't listen. But when the public start to put the pressure there to say, listen, you have to do something, is when the government start to act, when the authorities say, oh, I have to act because there are political reasons. And for the people to start putting this pressure is because we need to be able to communicate in a very common language, which could be writing, drawing, dancing, singing, talking, you know, for the community to get there because we do science for our world and for the community. And yeah, I think it's very important to be able to communicate in different ways and be very open mind, yeah, about what is around the corner, you know. Absolutely, so was this something as when you were growing up and getting into thinking about your, your role in science, did you, was this ever something that you would ever thought about when you started dancing that you could even connect these two things? Or was this something that when you were going into your college and your higher degrees that like dance was a thought of yesterday you know and like thinking of then how you can connect those two is that ever something that you thought would ever come back into your life as an adult practicing in science and things like that no no I remember you know I used to dance I used to dance all the time I used to take maybe two or three classes per day and then I started university and then there was a moment as I had to make a decision because I couldn't dance as much, I couldn't dance. And then I chose science and I chose to go to university. But still I was taking, you know, a few classes per week. That was it. And then when I went to do my PhD in Australia, I didn't dance for like five years because I couldn't find a place in Tasmania. I didn't have the time. I was busy with my PhD. And when I finished my PhD and I was doing my postdoc and I finally started to say, maybe I can start dancing again. I said, oh, how, how I did it? How I didn't dance for five years, you know? How, 
what happened to me, you know? And um, yeah, and then I started dancing. And then at that time, I started to become all this very popular that dance your PhD and there is all these things that people do now that I didn't do it. But I thought, God, how great is that? And, and then I started to see people connecting science with music. I remember a, a colleague of mine, she got a grant to bring these artists and they did all this music following the seals. And, mm-hmm. and he was playing music by following how the seals were moving. And this is how I said, oh, maybe there is more that we can do in, in this in combining both, you know? Because when I grew up, oh, you are a dancer, oh, you are a scientist, was never, you know? And even when in, in Argentina, when I did my degree, was you are a scientist. But in Australia, I see that you can do a degree where you combine science and art. We didn't have these things here in Argentina mm-hmm. or there in Argentina. But so oh, there is other things that we can combine. And yeah, this is how I slowly to combine and yeah, and use different ways of communicating. Yeah. And I think that also shows, you know, that work-life balance, right? Be able to bring back things that you love to be able then, one, to express your work, but then also that's a way of you to relax and for you to be able to express yourself in your own ways that you're used to. And also, you know, to, if it is relaxing or if it is, you know, thinking through a project or a mind, I know our staff scientist does that, which just walks with her dog <laughs> to stay active, you know, like she gets out there just to be able to like think through the next mo- model. And you, maybe you're doing that as you're like going through the next like pirouette. I don't know, but <laughs> speaking of that way through. So it's- Yeah, you- and, and you know what? We need to live in harmony, you know, in, in trying mm-hmm. to find this balance between our work life, our personal life, which is also work life, but we need to live in harmony and no one is going no one is going to help you unless you help yourself you know it doesn't matter if you have the best boss the best colleagues you know because it's such an internal process and the capacity to say no to say i have other things to do that means we need you know at the end of the day when we are very old and we are not going to be here anymore and our last minute in our life, we are not going to be thinking about, oh, I wish I wrote another paper or I wish I did another um, podcast. Or We are going to think about how good our life is in terms of harmony and, our, and the people we love. And we need to keep that in mind all the time and remind ourselves about that. Yeah. Absolutely. So then... As you are then going through your research, if it is um, on a boat, getting your, your, your samples, or if it is back in the lab, is there something that in science that you didn't expect um, as you are going on th- through this? I didn't expect, I always liked the job I was doing. I don't think I, and of course I love the field work and everyone was talking to me about, oh, how cool the field work. And yeah, it's very cool. I can say it's not cool, but I didn't expect to be enjoying so much my time in the lab. I, I, I feel very happy when I put my lab coat and I am in the lab and I put classical music and I just get there to work. I don't think I expect that uh, very much. And um I always thought I was going to be more like a field scientist and I didn't expect to be such a nerd. Yeah, that was uh, interesting, I think. Yeah, that was very unexpected. 
there are other things that weren't maybe not so good is about, you know, you think that everyone is in to do the, the best for the world and for the sharks. And, and I didn't expect to see so much politics in place and so many other things that take place. And I didn't expect to see so many egos, you know, because you also feel like um, everyone is there because we are all zoologists. Mm -hmm. That was also something unexpected, but of course it's happened, it's life, and it's something as we grow up. Yeah, and I don't think I, I knew by then how much I was going to try to be able to give to the community or, or enjoying, you know, going to schools and, and talk to kids and, and how other part of science about the communication I like, because I... I don't like Twitter, I don't like Instagram, I do it, I have it, but I have to think when I do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but going to schools and give talks, and this is something I enjoy a lot. And, and now actually I just got approached to maybe to write a book for kids and these things are very, very, yeah, I don't know, I haven't decided what to do, but um, <laughs> yeah, these things are what, yeah, was unexpected to enjoy this other part, yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great op opportunity, whatever you decide, but I, I, I mean, I think it speaks for you that you just love to be out there and talking to people about your work and our, our, our oceans. And if it is through, you know, going to a school and talking, or if it is through your dance as well, I think that might be your dancer background. You like to be up there in front of people explaining things, or if it is per performing, I know that it was definitely something with me. Um, especially with, with COVID and being behind a screen and talking to some, like sometimes it's just a screen of black. And you're like, oh, like I miss the communication, the reactions of people. And so I, I can definitely feel you with that as well. But then to round out our interview today, I would love to hear then advice that you would give to your younger self coming up in this role. Hmm. Tell my younger self to breathe you know to mm. to take step by step to to trust myself to trust that everything will be fine and to don't make decisions because you think is the only way or the only pathway just to think before saying yes or saying no you know to say listen there is not only one door there are many other doors that you know you close one door and another door opens and I am a strong believer that when you open a new door, it's always good. It doesn't mean that maybe, I think we have the capacity and this is something I will say myself that, you know, whatever door you open, you have the ability, I have the ability to make the best of that door mm -hmm. and the, the best of that pathway. Because maybe you always thought, oh, I'm going to be a this typical scientist and life takes you somewhere else, which happened a lot. But we have the capacity to make that something else, something good. And this is what I will have said to myself. Just trust yourself, think what you are doing, and make the best of whatever decision you are going to make, make the best of it. I think that is great advice to end on. So I want to say thank you so much for coming on today. And thank you for being able to share your love for science and for dance. And we hope to be able to catch up again soon. So thank you. No, thank you. And thank you for the work you do because I follow the Gilska for a long time. Uh, and I think it's a, 
I think it's fantastic. It's um, it's very important, and it's very important. In particular, I know that everyone listen to it, and and girls and boys and men and women. But, but as I said before, it, we need to do as much as we can to to push other women to um, to to get into science or, or or to think that you know to believe that they can do it. You know, it doesn't matter how many times we may get told, no, 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 and women cannot, we can. We definitely have the power to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, we can. I think that is a great message to end on today. So again, thank you so much for coming on today and hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review And as always, remember to stay curious, stay inspired, and always learn. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye, everyone.